Hey, this is Mike Birbiglia, and you're listening to PF's Tape Recorder, which is one of the better tape recorders. I'm P.F. This is my tape recorder. Coming up, it's our old friend Nikki Glazer. I mean, there's many reasons to do it, but one of the big reasons I do it is because deep down I feel I'm unlovable and the, the <laughs> laughter of a crowd makes me feel loved. I mean, if you really... I've done enough therapy on myself that that's, I know that's why I do it and I know that's why every other comedian does it, so I'm not admitting some fatal flaw. So I was cleaning out some audio files on my computer, and I saw this, and I'm like, wait a minute, did this ever run? And the answer was, nope. And it was such a great interview, you're going to have so much fun with this. Uh, We have a song of the week coming up from the Ocean Blue, how exciting. And it is summertime, so while the interview is new, you're going to get some rerun dumb bits for the next couple of weeks. So uh, here's one I did for the Gary Burbank show. Uh, I wrote it, they performed it, and uh, I mean, I think it's okay. See what you think. This is Dan Buckles interrupting this program. Dateline, war. Washington, D.C. The recording industry has submitted a request to the Senate Judiciary Committee to add a new layer of protection to the copyright laws. For more, we go live to Matt Stringer in the nation's capital, Matt. Thank you, Dad. I'm here with RIAA spokesperson Bob Hordbacker. Bob, what kind of protection does the recording industry now seek? Well, Matt, as you know, we have successfully gone after people who illegally copy CDs and people who share music files over the Internet. And speaking of the Internet... We have also been able to cripple internet radio broadcasts by imposing exorbitant fees on those operations. And so, what's next? Our first step is to ask for royalties to be paid when a song gets stuck in your head. I'm not sure I follow. Let's say you go over to a friend's house and he has a stereo on. You hear a catchy tune... The next day, you're at work, and you find that that song is stuck in your head. You keep singing it over and over to yourself, and then whistling the melody. I think that's happened to a lot of people. What's the problem with that? Well, the problem is that song is being used, we feel, illegally. Uh, How's that? The song is stuck in your head. You're singing it, enjoying it, but you haven't paid for it. You're getting something for nothing, and the artist, the publisher especially, and, for God's sake, the record company, record companies are suffering. Oh, really? And we'll take legal action against people with songs stuck in their heads. So there. Uh, back to you, Dan. Thank you, Matt. This is Dan Buckles. When news breaks in, we break out. Nikki Glazer is a stand-up comedian originally from Cincinnati, Ohio. She also spent a lot of time in the St. Louis market, I believe. Uh, anyway, like I said, I recorded this a couple of weeks ago. Forgot I had it. So glad I found it. Here now is our interview with Nikki Glazer. Hello. Hey, Nikki. What's up? Hi, are you in Cincinnati? Yeah. 
born there. Yes, we, well, we've spoken before. In fact, you were on my podcast uh, additionally a couple of uh, a couple years ago. Oh, nice. Cool, yeah. Um, okay. Good to talk to you again, then. Yes. Hello. Sorry, <laughs> well, actually, we almost ran into each other a couple of months ago. Were you home for the holidays uh, this past year? Like, I don't know, December-ish, January, maybe? Not in Cincinnati. I was home oh. in St. Louis. That's weird, because someone looked just like you was in Cincy shirts. I ran in to drop something off, because <laughs> I worked there. I thought it was you, and I thought, oh. Is that Nikki? Because I figured it might be you because, you know, you're from... I thought you may be still had family here. That's so funny. No, it was not me. You're doppelgangers who I saw then. Oh, wow. How weird. I have a lot of those running around town. Yeah, same. In different towns. Yeah. There are a lot of people that look like me. But, yeah, it it was not me. But I haven't been to Cincinnati in forever. But um, but I like that you thought you saw me. Okay, well, there you go. All right, so uh, <laughs> there's well, what, something there. <laughs> yeah, I know. So, so what's new with you? What's uh, what, what's the latest and the greatest? Um, you know, the latest and the greatest is that I'm, you know, busy as all hell, and uh, I do a radio show every morning, um, Monday through Thursday, for two hours live on Sirius on Comedy Central Radio, and then um, and then I'm on the road Thursday through Saturday. Uh, in various parts of the country, just doing, um, you know, my comedy club tour that I've been probably, people are always like, are you on tour right now? And I'm like, I've been on a tour since 2007. Like I've been uh, on the road. So it's like a never ending tour. And and right now I'm really like not taking any weekends off because I'm uh, gearing up for a Netflix special taping that will tape at some point in uh, late spring, early early summer. So um, that's currently what I'm up to. Cool. So I, is there a title for the special yet? There is, but I am not going to share it with anyone because it could change based on the material that I develop between now and when I tape it. And um, uh, there's no name for it yet, but um, I wish I could give it to you because it's really good. But okay. I, I gonna, can't. <laughs> I was going to suggest a never-ending tour. <laughs> That that could be it. This, Ooh, uh, okay. Called, it could be Nikki Glaser. When will this end? <laughs> the answer is not until I die. Boy, I like so that one that's too. The, that's the thing about comedy is that you no know, one really stops doing it until they die. I mean, like every single comedian who, like, no one really retires from it. Every comedian you know kind of performs up until the end. I mean, that's even true. When they should probably not be going <laughs> on, yeah, uh, late night shows. You see them kind of wheeled out, and um, and they deliver a couple punchlines. The thing is, you can do, do it till then, um, which is nice, but it's also uh, daunting and exhausting to think about. But there's no there's no retirement in comedy, really. I never thought about because you know Jackie Cation used to say, and this is when Joan Rivers was alive, of course. She would she'd come up in conversation, and Jackie would say, "I don't think she knows how to stop." And, uh, no, she does. She didn't. But like you're saying, but then no comedian really does. And you know, and Jackie's been no, doing it for, don't. you know, as Jackie's as old as I am, so she's been doing it for you know a while, uh, shall we say? And uh, you know, I don't, yeah, like you're right. I don't think you ever stop. I was talking to Miss Pat about that. I mentioned it to her, and she said, "Why would you stop? It's the greatest job ever. I mean, you know, you want to keep, you have that drive. The reason you're performing in the first place because you love it. So, yeah, there that is true. It's like. I don't think I would stop if I could, you know, if if everything I wanted that I point to as reasons why I do it, which is, 
you know, let's, let's be really gross about it and say the only reason in it is for fame and money and um, notoriety and the respect of my peers. And even if I had all of those things, I couldn't stop doing it. So that's not why we do it, obviously. Yeah. Um, a thing that I do land on sometimes where I'm like, oh, I can see myself stopping is like if I really felt... Um, at peace with myself <laughs> and loved myself and uh, had felt like had a, a family unit and felt I think that a lot of comedians do perform they can say they do it because they want to make people laugh and they they uh, I mean there's many reasons to do it but one of the big reasons I do it is because deep down I feel I'm unlovable and the, the <laughs> laughter of a crowd makes me feel loved. I mean, if you really, I've done enough therapy on myself that that's, I know that's why I do it and I know that's why every other comedian does it. So I'm not admitting some fatal flaw by saying that I don't feel lovable. It's like, that's why performers do it. It's like, you are seeking the approval and love of others. And so I feel like the thing that would stop me from doing it or make me feel like, oh, I don't need to go out tonight is like and perform, or I don't need, I can kind of hang that up and let that go, is that if I really felt at peace with myself, which some part of me wants that, and then the other part of me is like, oh, if I find that, then I won't be able to perform. Then well, then I don't want that. So it really is, um, it's, it, I, I don't think I'll ever stop. And it's funny because I look back on the late night shows I've done recently, and I've, I did Conan. Two times I've done Conan. One time Carl Reiner was the other guest. And the other time Bob Newhart was the other guest. I've also done, um, uh, what's that show? It's a lying show. To Tell the Truth, I did that with, um, oh my God, his name escaped me. This is so embarrassing. Um, Mel Brooks. So I've been on all of these shows with guys that are just, they should be well into retirement now and they're not even close and they're still killing it and um and i'll be right there with them at the end you know like i i think i'll be an old lady doing this i hope um and joan like yeah joan rivers like she could not be stopped (laughs) and nor can i but it is exhausting that's not to say that it's not exhausting and that i do um, sometimes yearn for another kind of life that doesn't demand so much travel and uh, talking. Yeah, so I I've had a you know I've gotten myself in a situation where I have like like literally have like eight jobs. I've got a, a main day job at Cincy Shirts. Uh, thank you to Josh for hiring me. And then but um mm-hmm. and then I've got you know all the other jobs. Do you get to the into this cycle now where if you do find even a couple of hours to relax, if you're like, well, I'm being lazy, I should be out. Writing jokes, I should be out developing a show. <laughs> or do you, are you able to relax at all? Yes. Uh, no, I'm not. I, I just took an hour and a half to watch part two of the Michael Jackson documentary. And um, I feel like I was so excited to have this call with you because I was like, oh, good. That will have felt like work. You know, like <laughs> yeah, exactly. I will have justified that I didn't do nothing. That counts. Uh, with my afternoon, even though I already did a two hour radio show today. And did a bunch of emailing. I still feel like, you know, I, I try to take off, um, Sundays and Monday nights when I'm in, when I'm home, just so I don't have to go out every single night of my life and perform stand up. Um, and it's really hard for me to do. Like I don't have a set tonight and I feel, uh, pretty lost, but, um, no, there's no relaxation in my life. I, 
I was trying to think of it the other day. I was like, is there anything that I just do for myself that isn't like for my job? And the only thing I can think of is getting a massage. Like sometimes I go and I get massages that, you know, even when I get a manicure that a lot of girls do that to relax, but I get manicures so that I look my, my hands look nice on TV. Like I don't, I would not be getting manicures if I wasn't on TV or in the spotlight. Um, but massages, I'm like, Oh yeah, that's the one thing that I don't need for my job. But then the other day I was getting a foot massage and, um, he did one foot and it just like, wasn't that it was great, but it wasn't that great. And I was like, I don't deserve this. So I just <laughs> stopped him in the middle of it. And he could not understand why I only wanted one foot. And it wasn't that I wanted <laughs> one foot. It was just that I, I did, I couldn't, I couldn't stand being just completely indulgent for an hour. I just, I, I, I'm unsettled by it. And I, I hope to at some point be able to be, be okay with um, taking a break and going on vacation, but it just it has not, um, it, I, I can't do it yet. It's a foreign concept. It really is. It's just, I don't enjoy relaxing the way other people seem to enjoy it. The way that I see it enjoyed on memes on in Instagram and like, you know, staying in bed all day. If, if I stay in bed all day and watch Netflix, I'm not, I'm, I don't feel good about that. Yeah. And, and not that a lot of people feel, I mean, that's generally a depressive act to stay in bed all day, but um, there's something wrong if I'm in bed all day. So theoretically, if you weren't doing this, if this wasn't your, your career and lifestyle, what, what would you be doing, you think? What other kind of career path you think there would have been? Um, God. I mean, how dark do we want to get? I remember, I mean, thinking about, I mean, this is one of the, this is a pretty weird thing to say, but it's, I'll only say it because it's true. And it's a ridiculous thought that I had when I was a teen, but I always wanted to be in entertainment. Like, I, I didn't know it was stand-up comedy. I kind of fell into stand-up comedy um, because I wasn't good at any of the other means to be famous that I knew of. Acting, dancing, singing. I was just like, I couldn't dance for shit. Singing, I'm okay. Acting, I, I'm good, but I'm just not great. So I was like, really, um, it was my freshman year of college. It was right before I found stand-up. And I remember thinking, well, I'll probably just have to take my own life at some point. Because <laughs> I know that sounds dark, but I remember thinking, like, there's no other thing I want to do. And if I can't be in the entertainment business, I don't see a point of my life. And I, I, luckily I found stand-up because I was a really depressed person and I probably would have been the, not followed through, but I would have, like, you know, uh, sat in that headspace a little too long. But I really don't know what else I would do. I'm guessing lawyer or teacher because there's something performative in that and you get to, like, be in front of a bunch of people and talk. Um, or maybe, like, a... a a newscaster could been in journalism of some sort. I like writing and I can write. So I think something like that, but generally, like I, I really, I remember thinking like, Oh, I guess I'll just kill myself because there's <laughs> nothing like all I want to do is be on TV. And that's like the most morbid thing I can ever admit. And I was 18 when I was saying that. So it was yeah, a yeah. ridiculous statement, but at the time I really did believe it. I just didn't consider another career path ever, ever, ever. So that give you like a certain drive to do it then? Would... <laughs> um, no, because I, 
I mean, yeah, there was always a, there's never been a part of me that didn't think I wouldn't make it and make it being like, be able to survive and feed myself uh, from this career because I just, I never, I never considered the the other, I mean, I I did consider it and it was like this or death. So like, it, it didn't drive me. It was just like, you don't have an option. This is survival kind of thing. Like I, um, I think what drove me more than anything was, um, oh God, what does drive me? That's a really good question. I think it's, you know, um, I think what drives me is to, uh, yeah, is that essentially, is that on the other side of this, I don't know what it is and it scares me what's on the other side of it. Cause I, I'm so, my life is, is working and is comedy and is, um, getting up in front of crowds and creating. And without that, I don't really know what life is. Um, because, yeah, it's, you know, I hope it's like having a family and having friends and uh, traveling and reading and all those things. But I, I don't have time for those things right now. So this is life. And yes, it does drive me because I would be deeply, deeply depressed with, without it. So I know it's sort of a cliche, but is it, is, was stand-up kind of therapeutic for you in a way? Or was it just... Mm. Yeah, it was. I mean, I discovered stand-up. I was... When I was saying all these really morbid, dark things, I was also kind of on death's door because I was anorexic at the time, and which was just kind of a really slow way of killing myself because I was in high school. I felt untalented. I felt like everything I wanted to be in terms of an actress was never going to happen. And I was just like, at first I was like, I need to get skinny to be an actress because that's what helps. Not that it doesn't help, but it certainly isn't the only thing that I needed. <laughs> like I needed to learn how to act. <laughs> but I started dieting, um, and then I lost a lot of weight, and then I lost too much weight, and then I developed an eating disorder that just I had no control over, and then I was dying, um, quite literally, like, uh, was, you know, could have died many times. Like, I was pretty, um, I was pretty sick. And then I discovered stand-up, and that was what gave me kind of, like, a reason to live. Like, I tried to, I did stand-up for the first time. I was anorexic when I did it. I was in the depths of my depression and my um, eating disorder. And I found, I had no way out. I just thought I was going to, it was going to kill me someday. And then, um, and then I did stand up and I was like, Oh wait, maybe I should look into this eating thing again, because I seem to be pretty good at comedy and maybe I want to stick around long enough to see if I can be great at it. And then, um, and that kind of got me to like, stop being so obsessed with not eating and, and start being obsessed with something else. So, uh, I, I'm kind of addicted to comedy in a way. I would I would say. Is that just a, a personality trait, or is it just something that you found that's something you're passionate about? Um, I I think I'm naturally good at it. I'm naturally funny because I'm you know based on how I was raised. Like I believe it's more nurture than nature. I mean, I think I was born really anxious, like introspective, introverted girl. And nervous and, and uh, just introverted. And and, and, um, and I had a lot of dark thoughts growing up. And I was probably depressed and all these things as a child, which I didn't realize later. So I think that that kind of is the perfect storm for a comedic mind. But then I was also really lucky um, to have parents who exposed me to really super funny things at a young age. So I kind of knew. And they had a really good sense of humor. So I, like, grew up being around it. And I think that that, uh, that set me up 
so that when someone was like, hey, you should be a stand-up comedian, you're pretty funny, I was like, okay, I'll try this. And then when I tried it, I was like naturally kind of, um, I had an advantage already because I was already uh, came from funny people. Well, Jimmy Pardo would say, and I think I've even heard him say this about you specifically, is that you've got funny in your bones, so that's not hard to believe. Oh, uh, my God, that is so nice. Uh, Jimmy Pardo, it, it, it's stuff like this, compliments like that from people who I have loved from the very beginning. You know, Jimmy Pardo was like a name that when I first started in comedy, I was just like, there's no one funnier, and I maintain that, you know. So oh, yeah. Hearing kind of that kind of thing from him is like... I can't. I, uh, I I feel like I've tricked him in some way, <laughs> but uh, that means a lot to me. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, no problem. Well, I'm glad things are moving in the right direction for you. Um, I, I'll I'll let you go at this point. Maybe you can take uh, the last 12 minutes of this hour off and just take take a deep breath for a minute. <laughs> and um, uh, have you fun. know what? I would love if you ask a few more questions because I just feel like I've been so dark that I'd rather oh. get on a lighter side of things. Okay. If you don't mind. Well, what what's on the lighter side? <laughs> Like, can you reveal some things you're talking about on stage these days that are of, of a lighter yeah, nature? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's okay. great. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, because, like, I, I mean, this is where I tend to go with my humor is just, like, being kind of honest and, like, dark. And, and to be honest, today I woke up kind of depressed because, like, that's where this interview is going. It's hard for me to kind of, like, turn that off. Uh, but my my the material I'm working on now is, like, based very much in, like, just being – yeah, about honest about where I am uh, right now. And I think every time that I've ever talked about, like, what are you talking about? I'm like, well, I'm a single girl trying to figure it all out. And that is, like, still true. Although now I'm, you know, 34 and uh, have had relationships and still am nowhere near finding anything serious or, uh, like, you know, any kind of, like, I'm not nowhere close to being married, nowhere close to having kids. These aren't things that are even like, oh, should I do it? Am I ready to settle down? It's like, well, you're, even if you wanted to, who would you settle down with? There's no option. So I think it's, um, me for the first time is like, I, I was pretty stunted when it came to relationships anyway, because as soon as I was, uh, interested in boys, I developed an eating disorder, which like took me out of the game because I was too skinny for anyone to even want to be attracted to me. And then as soon as I started gaining weight and was like, uh, you know, date worthy, uh, I wasn't interested in boys because I was only interested in comedy or comedian boys, which are not good options. So I didn't really have boyfriends or like experience with boys or sex until later in life. And I think that now I'm only a decade into really being a sexual human being. And so I feel like I'm just starting to figure some things out that I have, um, I've made some revelations in terms of like the hookup culture currently that um, I hope can help a lot of young girls and boys and, uh, you know, people my age and older. I feel like the stuff I'm doing on stage now, I, I always feel like, oh, am I just talking to girls my age or the only women that are going to resonate with, like, in, in my demo? And it's just not true. I have, like, women my mom's age being like, I know I'm, I could be your mother, but you are speaking my truth. And it just feels so good to, to do that now. And to also have men be really, uh, what I'm saying is beginning to resonate with them as well. Um, and I'm grateful to podcasters like Joe Rogan and Bert Kreischer and Tom Segura for like giving me a male audience who um, made me feel not so female comedy 
you know, like you get you get just by virtue of being a woman talking about sex on stage, you get pigeonholed a lot as like, oh, she's just another lady talking about her vagina, and it's like, yeah, talking about your penises too. <laughs> So, uh, so yeah, I'm having so much fun on stage. Um, my, like, I, I tour now with my best friend slash ex-dog walker, Andrew Collins. So he's on tour with me. We have, like, a whole show that is just top to bottom hilarious and uh, killer. And it's just, it's a nice time in my life. I've been selling out comedy clubs, and that's a first for me because I've been doing this now. I've been going to these clubs now for, like, over 10 years, and it's the first time I've ever them full. It's pretty awesome. <laughs> cool. Well, I'm glad things are moving in the right direction for you, ma'am. Thank you so much. Great. And have fun up in Minneapolis. And of course, when you're down in Cincinnati next time, we'll just recycle this for that and, uh, you know, use of economics there and uh, efficiency. And uh, this will be in print and online uh, in city pages when you're up there in Minneapolis. And uh, yeah, hope, hope we'll have you back here down in Cincinnati soon. Maybe even Ruhaha or something like that. I would love it. Thank you Great. so much for that. Thanks, Nikki. Bye bye. All right. Bye bye. Thanks again to Nikki Glazer for being on the show. Always great to talk to her. Like I said, I, I swore I saw her in our store uh, right around Christmas time. The woman looked exactly like her. I thought, oh, she must be in town visiting family. But um, good thing I didn't go up to her and say, hey, Nikki, because it wasn't her. Thursday, June 13th, you can uh, see Nikki at uh, the San Jose Improv. She's there for a run of shows from the 13th, looks like, through the 15th. And then in Charlotte, North Carolina, June 20th through the 23rd. For all your Nikki Glazer needs, go to NikkiGlazer.com. Nikki is with two Ks and an I, and then Glazer is with one S, uh, .com. Easy enough. All right, so we're just going to get to the song of the week here. I knew the Ocean Blue had been working on a new album, but I forgot all about it, and that was on Instagram, which I'm not on very often. And uh, Dave Schultzel, the lead singer of the Ocean Blue, posted a picture of the CDs that had just come in. And I'm like, whoa, I forgot all about this. So I went into Freegal, and the first two songs are actually out already. And I uh, really dig the first one a lot. It's called King and Queen, and we're going to hear that in just a couple of seconds. Still sounds like the Ocean Blue. This is the 30th anniversary of that first album. And by the way, I recommend you getting into these guys if you're into American jangle pop, that sort of affair. And if these guys have not been on your radar, they need to be. Uh, people love the first album a lot. I would say a lot of people think it's the best album. I like the third album best, Beneath the Rhythm and Sound, and then I'd say the first album, and then I'd say the second album. And then uh, you can kind of pick and choose from the remainder of the catalog, but they're all great. They're still making great music. And this sounds like it could have been on the first album, yet it has kind of a little bit of contemporary AAA uh, type of feel to it. I think you're going to dig, so um, can't wait for the whole album. In the meantime, this is uh, The Ocean Blue, our song of the week on PF's Tape Recorder. So long, and thanks for listening. So sublime It hits you like waves That crash on your face It knocks you like wind in a storm on the scene 